Theology Thursday, Friday live. Everybody needs a haircut. Tuesday in North Carolina, apparently, you're going to be able to do that kind of thing. I'm kind of liking the look, though. My beautician's been trying to get me to gel it up for a while, so we'll see what happens. Um, but anyway, Taylor Burleson, give her a shout out to at um, was the hair salon in Albemarle. You can listen to an interview um, with her and I, an interview that I did with her as I was getting my hair cut. Um, at the hair saloon on reformational reality. We have a, a um, podcast that I do. Um, you can look that one up. And um, it's kind of funny. She's a trip. She's never for nothing. I don't even remember what I said. So, <laughs> um, we're continuing to look into um, dispensational theology, which really is not that concerned about dispensational theology as we're just talking about end times because um, a lot of talk about the end times, a lot of talk about everything being the beast, 666. Jesse Watkins sent me a really good. Um, video about, I said saloon, right? Because I, I guess it's because they have the toilet water, toilet wine there. Um, the um, the hair saloon, that's the name of Taylor's shop there in Albemarle. Um, I completely lost my train of thought right there. Hey, Eric. And so, um, yeah, so we're talking about end times and things. And so Jesse Watkins sent me a good um, um a video on um, this guy. He's got like 104 point million views or something like that. And he's got this chart behind him about the end times and how COVID um, stands for ID 1919. The, the, is, um, the letter one is A and nine A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, A, I. You know, and we all know what AI stands for. Artificial intelligence, ID, artificial intelligence, COVID-19, going to be tracked by this thing stuck in your hand. It's got little spikes in it that are like a snake's fangs that go into your skin. A snake, we know what a snake is. That's the serpent. So, you know, yeah, we got that going on. Plus, of course, you can't put the mark of the beast, which is 666 and Corona. You know what that adds up to? Take a guess. Anybody? Bueller. Bueller. 666, right. But it doesn't really add up to 666. It adds up to 66. It's a Greek word called gematria, I think is how you pronounce it, where, um, uh, you know, letter A is 1, B is 2, or alpha, beta, whatever. And in Hebrew, they do it too. Um, Aleph, Megdimal, Dala, and each, you know, first is 1, 2, 3 is C, such and on. So you try to, you know, you take names or words and add up the numbers and you get it. So he got 666 by the word Corona in English, of course, because it's God's language. Um, so and But that's just 66. Where do you get the other six from? Because there are six letters in Corona. People believe this stuff. Anyway, um, not saying you should let the government put a tag in your hand. Don't say that you ought to accept any kind of numbers tattooed onto your body. But, um, you know, let's let's um, think about things. Let's not interpret our Bibles with our newspaper in our hands. Let's interpret it with our scriptures in hands. And so that's what we started looking at. Yeah, what's the mark of the beast? Um, what is, you know, the rapture? That's what kind of started us down this dispensational route. I have friends who are dispensational. I was dispensational for a long time. I was dispensational when didn't know what dispensationalism was. Um but, you know, I was on the Jack Van Impey. Man, I tell you what, that was constant, every day, um, stuff that was happening. That's, it's you know, the, the revelation being lived out in front of us. So, 
we need to think about these things scripturally. Are we living in the last days? Well, depends on what do you mean by the last days. Is the end of the world coming soon? Okay, do you I mean, is Jesus Christ coming back? Now, see, if you're dispensational, you think Jesus is coming back for his church, going to take all the Christians out, bodily, physically gone, and that leaves everybody else is left behind. So good people taken, but scripturally, if you, <laughs> always the people who are snatched away or taken or are the ones who are captured in wrath. So, you know, this doesn't jive completely with what Scripture even uses. You know, it, it, is there continuity or discontinuity in the Scriptures? And so that's one of the big points between when we're um, looking at any kind of theology. So dispensational theology just tends to be the one that um, has more appeal to people, particularly when we're talking about the last times, the end of the world. And that's great. It just draws people. One of the ways that um, John Darby, who came up with the whole dispensational theological system in the 1800s, one of the ways that it was um, promoted, promulgated, spread like a virus in the United States was through prophecy conferences. So um, they would have prophecy you know, seminars and things like this. And even today, if you want to draw a crowd sometimes of you know, you, you do a prophecy, you know, what's the, you know, who is, you know, Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters, six letters, six letters. That was 666 for some people. Um, so, you know, all these different, different um, schemas. So we started looking at this and we're thinking, okay, um, Jesus is coming back. Obvious Jesus is coming back into the world. There will be a last day. That's obvious. We all agree on these things. People who believe the Bible, um, who are genuine to the scriptures, whether you're dispensationalist and all the different little things, covenantal reform, non-reformed guys, all agree. You know, I mean, there's always outliers, but the orthodox faith is that there's a last day. There'll be a judgment day. Scripture is very clear. Also, I mean, don't let it take your eyes off the fact that it's appointed a man wants to die, and after you die, and then after that, you face judgment. So there will be your death, or even maybe okay, even if you're raptured, or if you know the last day comes and that's it. Um, because I believe the rapture passages are actually talking about the resurrection. So you know we, we're in basic agreement about a lot of things. Okay, um, dispensationalists are still Christians. Um, covenantal theologians are Christians, Reformed Christians are Christians, non-Reformed Christians are Christians. Um, but you have to have faith, you have to be born again, so you know, there's always that question. You can have all your theology right and go to hell with it. Um, you can have a lot of theology wrong and go to heaven. You know, it's faith, born again, faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so, a lot of topics to talk about there, but what I really want to focus on today is the nature of Israel versus um, the church, and that really takes us into um, dispensationalism and its main um, confronter, confronter, ally, opposite of ally, the, its main um, person that opposes them, the main, is covenantal theology. So you have covenantalism and dispensationalism. <clears throat> All right, so just real quick. Covenantal theology really came into uh, a, the name covenantal theology, the concept of covenantal theology um, arose during the Protestant Reformation. So if you know anything about the Protestant Reformation, you start Martin Luther and, and a lot of the Puritans and John Calvin and all these guys all 
um, living during the Protestant Reformation, John Knox in Scotland. So you have all these people, maybe in your history classes in public school or wherever, Christian school, homeschool, you might have learned about the Protestant Reformation. So that's where covenant theology really began to come into um, the forefront. Um, it was the classical covenant theology um, is seen in the Westminster Confession of Faith. So if you want to know what covenantal theology teaches, go online, Google Westminster Confession of Faith, read it, and that's covenantal theology. The Baptist Confession of 1689, I think I've heard it enough now where I have that date right, it's a covenantal theological book, um, document two. Um, there are some differences in that, but basically these are covenantal theological um, statements of faith. Um, if you ever heard of Herman Witsius, and it's a shame if you haven't, you know, and then um, Johannes Cochenus, I think that's how you say it, Cochenus, I think he was a Latin, um, Italian actually, so Cochenus, I think is how you say it. But Herman Witsius is the name I've seen more in, in, in books. He lived from 16, right down, 1636 to 1708. He was familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith. He really systematized the ideas of covenantal theology. So if you're really, really into it, um, you can look up some Witsius and read the Westminster Confession and, um, and things like that. But you're looking at um, dividing up the Bible, not necessarily so, but looking at the epochs of time that God dealt with, how he dealt with his people um, from Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, all the way through the book of Revelation, which, you know, there's so many correlations between Genesis and Revelation. You know, you see the tree of life again and, and different things like this. Um, the Gospel of John takes you all the way back to um, to Genesis 2. The Gospel writers, uh, Paul, um, uh, Peter, they're very careful, the writer of Hebrews in particular, we're going through on Sunday mornings, very careful to tie in New Testament theology based on, off of, a continuation of Old Testament theology, Old Testament covenants and teaching, okay? So, but there's also some discontinuity. So, when you hear people talk about these things, I didn't get a clock or anything, so I'm watch my phone's there and can't tell what time it is. So, anyway, um, I'll try not to belabor this for too long. The um, Oh, before I go, before I lose everybody here, let me say another thing we're going to start doing is called um, On the Lamb. Um, at 3.57, every day for the next 31 days, starting today at 3.57, I have committed myself. I have to go live for like a minute, uh, maybe two minutes at the most, but I'm going to just go live with encouragement from Scripture. So about fear not, that's going to be our main um, concept. So we're going to talk about, you know, on the lamb and what that's going to mean is three basic things. It's going to be on the lamb because you're on the run. You've got to do it. Okay, cute. On the lamb, the lamb of God. So we're going to talk about um, faith, but also Lamentations 3.57. So on the lamb, 3.57. So that's going to be the thing. Lamentations 3.57 talks about um, fear not. And uh, at 3.57 every day, we're going to do it. No matter where I am, I'm setting my alarm for a two-minute warning and then I get up, I go. Unless something, you know, um, if I'm in a, I don't know, a funeral or something like that. I'm going to try to be a little more respectful than that. But, you know, um, it should be good. It should be fun. It should be, um, and hopefully it'll be encouraging. On the lamb, 357, next 31 days. I guess you should do it for the next 357 days. No. Um, so, what are we talking about? Covenant theology? Of course. So, um, 
<laughs> so, all right, so I went through covenantal theology, the covenants, okay, the continuity and discontinuity between the Old Testament and New Testament. So, I'm 12 minutes in. <laughs> all right, um, so, continuity and discontinuity, that's the thing. It's like there's, there's Old Testament, there's continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, we're going to look at that. And as covenantal theologians, there's a lot of emphasis on the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we also recognize that there's lots of discontinuity, things that are different, things that have changed. But there is an underlying, um, there's an underlying um, foundation to the continuity aspect of the Old Testament and New Testament, which is um, salvation through Christ alone. From the beginning to the end. So if you ask some people, and, and maybe, you know, the, the man in the pew, he may not have an answer for this necessarily because he hasn't thought about it much. But if you ask the, you know, people who aren't um, brought up in a Reformed church, maybe, or aren't listening well, if you ask people, you know, how are the people in the Old Testament saved? And you just group it Old Testament. Now, that's a whole... Thing. And then one of the problems we can have is get out of your mind. Stop thinking Old Testament equals Old Covenant. Okay? That's not Old Covenant being the Mosaic Covenant and, and partially even some of the Davidic Covenant aspects. We'll look at that another time. But, um, you know, when the Bible talks about the Old Covenant, it says, which you made with your people when you brought them out of Egypt. Okay? That's Moses. Um, Moses was under the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant um, is over the Mosaic Covenant and continues, according to the New Testament, into the New Testament. We are children of Abraham. Those who are of faith are children of Abraham. We have faith with Abraham as our father, who was justified by faith apart from works, just like us. How are people in the Old Testament saved? There's your answer. Through faith, just as we are. So, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. How can you say they're saved the same as they are in the New Testament? There's the discontinuity, okay? We have fuller revelation. We're on this side of the cross. We understand. We Gentiles have been engrafted in. We've been given the, the, the spirit of the risen Christ. All these things. There's lots of things that have changed, but there's lots of things that are the same because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's only been one plan of salvation from the foundation of the world, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. One plan of salvation. Now, that is what separates covenantal theologians from dispensationalists. There are a few different plans of salvation. Now, if you talk to a dispensationalist today and they know their Bible and they're good Christians, they will say, they will come to the conclusion that, yeah, and they will finally admit that, yes, everybody is only saved through the blood of Christ. Even in the Old Testament, even in the millennium, um, where they believe that you know the, the Jews will have their you know a different plan like the Jews right now put on hold so the Gentiles can come in the church happens but then the church is taken out and then God goes back to plan A with Israel um, and they also even they are saved by Jesus Christ okay so there's your continuity and your point of agreement with dispensationalists um, people who um, really dis really don't like it when you start to say I don't um, believe in the rapture as taught in dispensationalism, um, where the, you know, it, it, there's so much. It's like each church has its own, and Christians have their own little distinctive things that they have to focus on. And if you disagree with them, it's like, Ugh! you know, it's like, oh, it drives them crazy, you know. So we're like that. I'm like that. So we had to be careful with that, that we know what the essentials of the faith are. And so 
you know, faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is through Christ alone. He is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are essentials to the faith, and there can be no um, um, ground given on these things. All right, so let's just get to this real quick. Um, covenantal theology and dispensational theology. Dispensational theology depends on who you talk to. Basically, typically, they'll do seven dispensations. Um, or So what the covenant theology does is they look at these different covenants, and you see how God has dealt with different covenants. You have the Basically, it's two overarching covenants. Covenant works with Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, the covenant actually made with Adam. And then we're all in him. When he fell, all of creation fell. So anyone who was born today is born in Adam. And that means you're condemned. You're born condemned. You're, you're born with a, you need a new heart. You have a hard heart. You're, you're not um, naturally um drawn to the things of God. You may be drawn to the things of the church. You may be drawn to some of the ideas of the Bible, but you're not drawn really to give your life and trust in Jesus Christ. And there's a difference. And that's why um, pastors, churches had to be very careful to preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and what that means. And not just that we're going to do good in the world, that we're going to be good people, but that we're not good people. And, um, you know, John, um, I always have to reject. I always have trouble with his name, man. Um, but he says, um, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. And that's what we have to really clue in on because God's grace is far greater than we ever imagined. Now, that's important. We're not saved by works. We don't get into the church by faith and then we continue by works. That's the Galatians. Are you foolish Galatians who bewitched you to think that you when you began by faith, you're now, you now began the spirit, you're now being um, perfected by works. You know, you're not perfected by works. Why do Christians do good things? Why do Christians follow the works of the law? Follow the law when we are no longer under the law. It's because we've been given a new heart. It's the same reason Jesus obeyed the law. Jesus obeyed the law because he just, it was his character too. Um, that should be us. The only true, proper um, way to please God by our works is if it's done through faith. So anything not of faith is sin. All right, so we believe there's basically two covenants. There's covenant works with Adam, and there's covenant of grace. Um, all these other covenants that we're going to talk about real quick fall under the covenant of grace because they're gracious covenants. Um, they're not a second way to get saved. You blew it by, you didn't, you, you know, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, so, which is, what I believe, the sacramental thing. It's like, it wasn't anything about the fruit itself that was going to kill you. It was, you. there's the law, don't eat. But does it in the law in my heart? Well, we learned that in the New Testament. But there in the, the law in the garden was don't eat. So could Adam's heart have turned from God? And as long as he didn't eat the tree, um, he wouldn't have fallen. And I'm like, I think yes. But I think that when a person's when Adam's heart turned straight to the tree, it's the way it was going to work. And that's the way it did work. Um, so everybody born under Adam is born in sin. Then we read um, about in Romans chapter five, the second Adam. So Romans five talks about all who are in Adam, all have in Adam died, but all who are in Christ live. So he said it calls him the second Adam. So that's what adoption is. You're adopted out of Adam's family into the second Adam family, Christ, the, the family of Christ. So you're in this covenant. You're, you're in Adam. You're going to hell because broken God's covenant. You shall die. But there's life, there's resurrection, there's clothing and righteousness. All these things that were there we saw in the garden, um, we now have them in Christ for those who are united in him by faith because faith is how we 
get into the kingdom the same way as it was for Adam and Eve after the fall. They apparently were offering sacrifices even then because, remember, um, Cain and Abel offering sacrifices and pleasing God um, is what made Abel, is what caused Cain to kill um, Abel because he was jealous because his sacrifice was accepted and that Cain's was not and probably because it came from bad heart. So um, then there's other covenants. There's, you know, you come out and there's a, the um, <clears throat> covenant of Noah. So we talk about, you know, what, what are we taught about the gospel in the covenant of Noah? And then we have the covenant of Abraham where we talk about the gospel in the covenant of Abraham. We have the covenant with uh, Moses. What do we talk about the gospel in the covenant of Moses, which is an interesting thing in the covenant of Moses because um, there's a different role for what Israel is doing in the land. Okay, so we see some some things happening in, and then that covenant is done away with, so that we're the overarching covenant of Abrahamic covenant continues. And there's the Davidic covenant, which is the king, and we have a king. King Jesus sits on the throne of David today. So, and then we have the new covenant, um, and so there's continuity, discontinuity. So a dispensationalist is not going to look at the continuity; they're going to look at all the discontinuity and say God deals with different people at different times in different ways. And I just don't really see how you reconcile that with Scripture. If I did, I'd be a dispensationalist. Um, so it's a good point of you know to talk about with our dispensational brothers and sisters. Um, Romans chapter nine. So let me just grab Romans chapter nine, verse thirty. So Romans chapter nine, verse thirty. Uh, we read this. Um, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue, pursue righteousness have attained it. Okay, we didn't pursue righteousness, but now we have righteousness. That is, a righteousness set by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works, as if it were based on works. So how are people saved in the Old Testament? Not by works, by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith. People in the Old Testament saved by faith. So if you say, how are people in the Old Testament saved? By faith. And then you would say, faith in what? And so a traditional Reformed answer is faith in the Messiah to come. True, but I believe a, a, a more encompassing another way to think about it is by having faith in God and then God was pointing all these things to the Messiah to come to our Savior to come but um, the, the Jewish people didn't really place by faith they weren't looking just forward to this Messiah figure now by the time Jesus arrives there was this Messiah figure they're all looking forward to and they are looking forward to this Messiah figure but their faith was more than just this is, you know, all these things with the, you know, that God is requiring of us. We're following Him by faith, and so that was, you know, what is God calling us to do, and that we will do, and we look forward to a time when He will save, redeem His people, and 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 make Israel great, and all these things. And then when Jesus comes, um, people who had faith in the in Israel recognized Him eventually, at least saw Him and had faith in Him, and, and converted. To Christianity, um, continued in their faith actually with the Messiah that had been revealed, but they didn't pursue the their law um, by faith, but as if it were by works, and so they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And it kind of goes on for that from there. And then verse chapter ten, um, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. This is for those who have stumbled over the the law. Um, the prayer of God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end, the final point, what the law was all pointing to, the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay, so you know, he's praying that, that God would um, save the Jews too. All of the Jews, I mean, he's Jewish, he is saved, so it's not that all the Jews are not saved, um, those who have faith in Christ. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That's from the Old Testament. Then he goes on, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. All right, so there is a distinction because he just said Jew and Greek. Okay, so there is a distinction. And there remains a distinction, but he's talking about it in a particular way. Because then he said, um, elsewhere he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, uh, master nor slave, that all are one in Christ. So are there differences between men and women? Yes. Are there different roles for men and women? Yes. Um, so, so what's he talking about? Are there different roles for masters and slaves? Yes. So what he's talking about, though, is... We're one people. We have different roles, different relationships, but we're one people in Christ Jesus, created for good works. You know, how beautiful are our feet of those who bring the good news. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Um, and it goes on about with um, Israel. So let me um, skip ahead a little bit just for the sake of time here. If anybody starts to have questions, you can ask later or now or whatever you want to. Um, so here's one thing. All right, here's an example of continuity that you'll see from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And this is from um, Vern Poitras' book. It's going to be backwards on the screen, but it's called Understanding Dispensationalists. And um, he, he says this. He says, for example, um, Noah, saved, Noah was saved through the flood. Water is a symbol of death, and you see that also in Jonah. Israel's salvation from death by the substitute of the lamb. I'm sorry, Isaac's substitution from death by the substitute of the lamb. Uh, Moses' salvation as an infant from the water. The people of Israel's salvation at the Passover and at the Red Sea. The restoration from Babylon is a kind of preliminary resurrection of Israel from the dead. All these show a kind of continuity with the great act of redemption, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus even teaching about himself um, from the Old Testament, from the scriptures, he says, on the road to Emmaus. But there's also discontinuity. People are raised a life in the Old Testament, and, but they, they died again. Um, so, you know, there are these discontinuities. 1 Corinthians 15, you can read that, especially starting in verse 46. And it talks about um, Christ living forever in his resurrection body and we receiving resurrection bodies too. Um, uh, let's see, let me skip to the end here. So, does this mean that the Jews now have lost any kind of distinctive status over against Gentiles? This is what Poitras asked in his book. Is there any difference? Is there a distinction between Israel and the church? Because we, we know that um, Jesus talked about spiritual Israel. Um, I can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. Um, it's not, you know, you, have, you say you have Abraham as your father, but Abraham looked forward to my day with faith. Um, if you if Abraham was your father, you believe in me. But since you don't, Satan is your father. So you know, obviously, these people were physical descendants of Abraham. But because they did not have faith, God is saying that they are not truly children of Abraham. So it's like, eh, what are you talking about there? So it should become obvious that it's, 
those who are of the promise. Um, and so then we see that when Jesus is talking to Jewish people, cow, <laughs> Jesus is talking to the Jewish people while he's walking around and they're, they're saying that they don't believe in him, they don't believe he's the Messiah and these things. Um, he's saying, if you had, because he's saying, you know, you've, you've been cast out. They're like, we, we've never been fatherless. We have Abraham as our father. And he's like, no, if you had Abraham as your father, you'd believe in me as it is Satan as your father. I mean, that's like, that's a, that's a huge redemptive historical statement. Okay. And so that he's saying there is the visible church and invisible church in the Old Testament too. You can't look at these things in depth in the Old Testament and not see the continuity. You have to, as you're reading how people are saved, how God de deals with his people in the New Testament, and you say, but it's different. It's like, yeah, but so much of it's the same. And the more you make of the discontinuity, the more you break Jesus in two. You have the Old Testament God dealing with people in one way, New Testament God dealing with people a different way, and then you don't have the Abrahamic covenant. You don't have the, the, the whole Noahic covenant stretching over all these things. You have the Davidic covenant continuing into this existence. You don't have the moral law, you know, which obviously existed beforehand, but not as written on tablets of stone. It's not written on our hearts. But even, you know, the all these things... Um, and the Abrahamic covenant, you know, continuing today. And so where's the continuity and where's the discontinuity? Um, but with the people of God, the Jews being a distinctive people, in one sense, he says there's neither, Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. One people, the dividing wall has been put down. So, but is there still Israel, okay? Do like believing Gentiles, are we now considered Israel? Um, Non-believing Jewish people, are they no longer considered Israel? Or are they considered Israel and all the believing people, Jew and Gentile, are the church? You see, that's the question. Dispensationalists handle this problem by saying the church is the church, even the um, Jewish people who come into the church or the church, and Israel is on pause, but one day God's going to deal with Israel on a whole. But my kind of point is like, well, what about all the people who die now? Um, if, the, if you're Jewish and you die outside of Christ in the millennium, and we're talking about the millennium next time, is there some hope for these people who die today? Or is it a future set of Jewish people who God's going to finally bring them in? And you kind of see it's like, you know, depending on when you live as to whether you have this opportunity for, for this um, salvation or not. Um, but there are still distinctives in relationship to one another and to our responsibility to God. All right, so first he says, and this is where we're ending, um, greater responsibility for, the, for Israel even today because they had greater light. So if you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 1, and we, we start reading that, he says, Paul asks this question, then, then what advantage is it? So let me back it up to 2.28. Uh, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So he's making this point that you know, you're not a, no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly. Okay, you have to have your circumcised heart. You have to be born again. And this is what, um, you know, baptism points towards in the, in the New Testament here. In verse 3, 1, then what advantage has the Jew? That's a very good question. And he says, 
or of what value is circumcision? And he says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, okay? So they had greater light. Um, what if some were unfaithful? What if some of Israel was unfaithful? Which they were. Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? It's interesting. By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. So what he's saying is, God said, um, Israel, oh, the elect. Who are the elect? Um, a dispensationalist will say the elect was Israel. Obviously the elect. I mean, they're called the elect. <laughs> but what about the church? The church is elect, but not individual people. Okay, so that's how they get it. But or but who makes up the church is individual people. So the church is the elect of God. So if the church is the elect of God, and the elect of God goes from Old Testament to New Testament, then the promises of God, the warnings against the church, the warnings against the elect, the warnings against Israel. So if whoever attacks Israel attacks, you know, is that what they're saying? You know, so whoever is opposed to Israel is opposed to God. Well, does that now mean physical Israel or is that talking about the church? I believe some of the church. So you're saying the church replaces Israel? No, you're not listening. So let's keep going. Um, like, um, if our righteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? So what he's saying is he's chosen Israel, but there were a lot of Israel who were not faithful, so he, they get judgment. It's not just being Jewish that saves you. It's being united in him by faith. It's Israel that God has called the elect that God has called. Um, but if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner. And why not why not do evil so that good may come to some charge or condemnation is just? What then? Are Jews any better off? Are they better off then? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all Jew and Gentile, Jews and Gentile are under the power of sin. So this is a connection he's making between the Jew and the Gentiles. And so dispensationalists are making this break in that. And But not in Romans, it's not happening. No one is righteous. No one understands this Old Testament quotations. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. All have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And he goes on, continues to say these things. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19. Now we know that whoever the law said, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Everybody, Jew and Gentile. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in, this, in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, what does it bear witness to? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's the Old Testament into the New Testament. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are all justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins is to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And then it goes on uh, talking about Abraham and how he was justified by faith and not by works. And then we have to go to the great Romans chapter 11. 
It talks about the remnant of Israel, and this is going to get us to where we're going to stop and in just a second and talk about what does God have a special plan for the Jews in the future. Um, it seems now, um, and I know lots of Jewish Christians, there are lots of Jewish Christians. By Kyle, thank you for dropping in. Um, God has lots of, uh, there's lots, he's saved. It's my telephone. It's, it's always, unless it's my mom or Ian, somebody trying to sell me something. So we'll see. Um, I think my voicemail is going to kick in too. So we all get to hear this together. Um, I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. And so he goes on talking about, he's saved. Good. Emergency specialist. I was odd. I hope my medic alert's not going off or something. Um, anyway, I think I've spent too much time on this, but but this is the big thing that we want to get to, though, is um, verse seven. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it's written. And God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block. And he goes on. So I, in verse 11, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. Um, their rejection means the inclusion of the Gentiles. Verse 17, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others. And so as we've seen about the church, we've been engrafted in to, into the actual, into Israel. Some were broken off, um, non-believers, and we were broken in. We were engrafted in, so now we've become a part of, of Israel. So there's not a replacement theology. The church doesn't replace Israel. Israel the believer, Gentile believers are engrafted into spiritual Israel. And then it goes on, and we'll look at this some next time. So it does appear... Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. It just talks about all of Israel being saved. And so that's what we're going to look at next time. What does it mean that it does seem like there's going to be a time where there is a separate, um, that not a separate, but there's a time when the Jewish people, um, God deals with them again. So he, it's like there's this oh, spiritual awakening among the Jewish people to see the Messiah, to see Jesus Christ. Um, and, and I don't think it's going to be every single person, but a great mass of people returning to um, the faith of Jesus Christ. So we'll look at that next time. I hope it didn't go on for too long. I hope this made some kind of sense. Um, but it has a lot to do with the way we interpret Scripture. Um, the way we interpret Scripture is going to determine these things if you're if you're looking from it's your preconceived ideas that you go to scripture with it's just like you see anything on facebook you you believe this you don't believe that you're going to find something that that makes this um proves what i've been thinking the whole time and the other person they're going to find things that prove you know what they've been thinking the whole time it's amazing in a time of massive information we have so much information we don't know what to believe and we're with Pilate standing before christ and he says what is truth I mean, it really makes you wonder, that kind of thing. Um, but we're going to look at that next time. We'll talk about how do you, what's the method of interpreting Scripture that we use. Um, it, it don't want to be confusing to people on the outside who are like, man, Christians just disagree with each other all the time. It's like, well, yeah, but there's basic things that we, just, that we agree on. And we also need to be able to agree um, that we don't call each other 
we're very careful not to call each other um, heretical um, unless we've got some really good reason for it, but that we come to understand why different Christians believe differently than, than we do. And um, it really has to be, I mean, where I draw a line is with other than, you know, the, the Jesus Christ, death, resurrection, faith, is the um, authority of the Bible. So if you, if you lose the authority of Scripture, um, there's whatever, you make it up on your own. So that's a, a very strong basis of the Holy Spirit speaking through Scripture. All right, so 357, I'm going to do on the Lamb. Um, thank you for sticking with me. How long I've been rambling on. But, um, yeah, just um, ask some questions if you, if you have any questions about these things. And we'll keep thinking this stuff through. And, anyway, um, God bless.